Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On today's episode, we have the second part of our interview with Billy Mayfair. On this episode, Billy and his wife, Tammy, talk about how the rules of professional golf are really confusing, their experiences as an autistic and non-autistic couple being married, and the challenges of being a public figure as an autistic person. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Tammy, thanks so much for joining me here on Autism Stories. Thank you for having the other side. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the first question that I always ask each of our guests is, where would you say your story in the autistic community begins? Well, for me, it's when I married Billy. But to be truthful, you don't really realize the autism right off the bat. So we all have our own quirks and things. Me leaving my shoes all over the house drives Billy nuts. But is that an autistic thing or just a a non-organizational thing? So in the beginning, of our marriage and relationship, would I have known? No, because he's this brilliant athlete that's part of the 1% of the 1% of the world. Mm -hmm. And not knowing that his autism probably has the majority of to do with him being that brilliant 1%. I mean, how many people are married to a trivial pursuit question? And that's me because my hubby's the only guy to beat Tiger head-to-head in a playoff because he has the wonderful innate ability to hyper-focus better than anybody I've ever known. So in the beginning, I would notice things like if I caddied for him and we were at 180 to 200 yards out, he can hole it. Where most people hole it from 50 to 100 yards, my husband's like third on tour with hole in ones of 13 because he has the ability to hyper focus. But on the same token, what I noticed early on is rage or anger. And there were other things in our beginning in our life that I attributed those things to. And when those went away, why is it still there? So from my point of view, became why can't he answer this question? And why is he so dependent on others? Or why can't he defend himself in a rules situation? And so when those all things came to a head, yes, he's right. I put my foot down because I needed help. And for me in a marriage with an autistic individual, it's a two-way street. And one thing that I just don't like is putting all the pressure on the autistic person in the marriage saying, well, we always need to get them help, them help, Mm -hmm. them help. Well, guess what? I needed help too. I'm not perfect either. And it comes down to a point of communication and learning 
each other's language. And, you know, it was interesting you mentioned Tiger. I wasn't going to ask Billy about it because I was oh, thought, I was thought it's like he's asked about Tiger probably every day of his life. All the time. Yeah, about, about all the time. But I guess, you know, like in doing research to talk with Billy, you know, I came across a lot of the articles where you kind of like, you know, talked about how you really kind of encouraged or really kind of pushed him to get an assessment for autism. Like how long before you very strongly encouraged Billy to kind of look into this in his life? How much long before did you kind of sense like, hey, like he, his brain works differently. You know, he might be it's autistic. About 10 years. And so part of this is understanding my psychology by my, my psychological traits. I'm a fixer, right? My parents, that's how I was trained. If there's a problem, I fix it. If there's a puzzle piece, I try and put it to the puzzle together. So here I have this puzzle in my husband, oh, my attitude, I can fix that. Well, I can fix that. I can do that. And I had a, a whole career myself prior to my husband where I can do that. I can do that. I don't believe in. If I have a brain, guess what? I can figure it out. If a guy can do that, I can do that. We have knowledge. So when I got to a point where I couldn't fix it, and I didn't know how because I didn't know what I was dealing with. I had to come to the realization that it's okay that I needed help. And I believe that if you are married to the autistic individuals older and it's a spouse, for me and what I've learned, it's a two-way street. You both are going to need some guidance. And I look at it as one of us is speaking Chinese and the other one's speaking Russian. And you got to be able to translate that where you both understand each other. And I, it came down to where some of the things he was doing affected us financially. And before it turned into a financial destruction, that's when I put my foot down. And he got tested. And I encourage everyone to get that test because everybody's different. And all the test does is give you a beginning. It gives you a baseline. And then you grow from there. It's the beginning of the roadmap and you just start driving. You're gonna take a detour here and there and he's gonna take an off-road moment. But then you have a roadmap to get back on that straight path again. Hmm. And that's what we found. When Billy got assessed for autism and came back that he is autistic, I was talking to him and he said, you know, he was in denial initially, and now he's, it sounds like, seems like he's in a much more accepting and embracing place. So what, like, what were some of the things you felt like attributed to, to that change for him? It's a pattern that I learned early within this 10 years prior to diagnosis. I just didn't have a reason for the pattern. So the pattern is for Billy, if I want something done or have him grasp his mind around it, I have to plan a seed and wait two weeks. And by two weeks, I mean 14 days. So for instance, we're recording during holiday times 
if I wanted to go someplace for Christmas, I better have already discussed it somewhere in October and November, at least two weeks prior to traveling before he's going to say, okay, or no, and here's why it's a no. Because I got to have to give him, he processes information at a much slower rate. Now, at the time of me noticing this pattern, did I know why? No. And did it drive me nuts? Yes. Because most people and spouses, you can say, honey, do we want to go to Oklahoma for Christmas or to Arizona for Christmas? Yeah, no, whatever. And you can get an answer right away. Nope. Billy, I got to, I don't know. I'll get back to you. And he's got to think about it and think about it and come up with his reasoning why he does or does not. Now I know that that's how he processes all information. And for me, now that I have knowledge that this is not him blowing me off or him rejecting me, which in turn hurts my feelings because I feel rejected because I think he's just watching TV when actually he just needs the extra time the grasp. So now that I know, I don't mind. I can ask a question knowing, okay, he'll process it. He's not ignoring me. He's not now hurting my feelings. And I'll get an answer in time because this is how his brain works. And he also knows why I then got upset at him in the past because my brain wanted an answer right then and there. And so now we have an understanding where, and there are times I forget. He's over here laughing because he <laughs> knows, you know, he's over here going, yeah. And I can go, okay, I forgot. I got to, okay, my bad. Or he'll say, I forgot. You need an answer right now. Or I know this is a time where I give you a hug. Sorry. You know, so now we have an understanding of what the other one needs or wants at particular times. I'm wondering about the feedback on on tour. You know, Billy had mentioned that like he's known so many of these golfers for since junior golf, going back a long time. But I'm wondering about the response from like the golfers, the PGA tour members, their their wives and your relationships. Thank you. What a great question that is. And so I'll tell you twofold from what I saw and have experienced. One, when Billy came out, you could tell the people or the players, I should say, you could tell the players that he had grown up with their whole life because they sit there and went, yeah, that makes sense to us. We've known him. We've seen it. They've experienced his autism and it made sense. To those that may have been foreign players that he didn't play enough with or guys just out there, they'd be like, what? And what is that? And is that, or they, most of them didn't say anything at all. But those that were close to him, that grew up to him, yeah, acceptance and whatever. From the wife point of view and the wives, a lot of them didn't know what to say to me Mm -hmm. and still haven't. And it's more of a consoling factor. And some have given me a hug and said, I'm so sorry. And I found that interesting because I've never been sorry because it's what makes him great. It's more about finding our language for me than ever being sorry. Has it been difficult? 
Yes. Has it been trying? Yes. And Billy would say the same. And that's fair. And a lot of people would say, well, that's just husband and wife stuff. Well, no, it goes beyond that because it's about understanding the brain and how it works. So the wives, but now I think I have found a completely different respect from all the wives out there because they know how hard I work and it may be even a little harder than they do. And let me tell you something, life on tour and every wife would tell you out there, including Barbara Nicholas would tell you <laughs> it's challenging. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So Billy and I were talking about the rules and processing that information and all those things and talking about the USGA earlier. And now this is, this is Doug Bletcher's opinion. This is not anyone else's, but my opinion is if you had autistic people writing the rule books, I think all sports leagues and the USGA and, and all these other leagues, all these sports would be a lot better off because it would be very. I have to tell you, Billy is sincerely clapping in the background. And I, as a neurotypical, would happen to agree 100% with you. Now, the trick to it is I have found, and Billy is a prime example, the rules, rules are, especially for autistic people, rules are your friend. There's structure in that. There's safety in that. And where I have experienced where autistic individuals get into trouble is when others change the rules or bend the rules. Autistic individuals, they don't know how to wiggle and they, they don't understand the wiggle and why is it right sometimes and wrong others. And I, I understand that. And so the, like Billy said, and, and I happen to wholeheartedly agree as a golfer myself, the United States Golf Association rules and how they're written are horrific for most of us, including professional golfers to understand. Otherwise there wouldn't be rules officials out there to interpret the situation in the first <laughs> cotton picking place. Um, in the beginning of golf, I happen to know that there were only 13 rules made and now there's a whole thick little rule book of when and if and that and lawyer language that nobody understands. Do I drop it here or not? It's yes or no. And at the end of the, you know, it should be black or white, but it's not. And that's where it's a challenge for those on the spectrum that are out there playing a game with so many rules. And in a game of golf where there's honor and integrity attached. I mean, that's rule 1.1. You play this sport with the honor, integrity, and character in the, of the spirit of the game. And it's the one sport where you don't cheat, right? In baseball, you steal a base. In basketball, you foul <laughs> at the end of the game, right? On purpose. You cheat on purpose. You know, on football, you can get a penalty on purpose because it's better to do that than to let them score. So cheating is encouraged in all other sport but ours. And yet you have all of these rules that they make it hard to follow. So yeah, interpretation is challenging. So with Billy, once we got diagnosed and the rules officials, right? And it took us a long time to get them to understand. That's a story for another day. But once they did, and once the tour commissioner and everybody got on board, now they get it. And 
it, uh, God bless them because it's working. And sometimes Billy just needs, okay, well, wait a minute. What does that mean? What can I drop it here? Or do I get relief here or yes or no or why? And they know that it may take a few extra seconds than normal to let him digest the information to make a decision so it's legal and not cheating. Because let me tell you something about Billy Mayfair. That is not a cheater. He will follow the rules like nobody's business. And Doug, I know you do too. <laughs> so, yeah. I think as artistic people, one of the things that we really kind of crave is for non-artistic people, non-artistic loved ones, those that we work with to have a better understanding of us and to put the effort into having that understanding and look for that guidance to better understand us. Because I think every day we're trying to, like we're, try, we're trying to, we put in all this effort to, you know, in, in the world to, so I'm- To try and fit into our world. Yeah, so I'm just wondering, it seems like you've done a lot of work yourself in trying to understand Billy and and learn about the autistic experience. I'm sure it's not perfect, but like I'm, I'm interested like where you've gotten guidance that you felt has actually been helpful to you because I know a lot of spouses and parents are always looking for that type of guidance and it's really hard to find. Is horrific to find, right? Yes. Because like I said, I needed help too. For me, I come with a different element in the beginning because Billy is a professional athlete, which means he is in a limelight, which means that sometimes I get, both Billy and I get what I call false, false intentions. Somebody wants to work with us just so they can say they helped Billy Mayfair instead of actually being a true health individual or doctor. So trying to weed out and be Billy's gatekeeper is one of my <laughs> responsibilities. So then to find an individual that will work both with an autistic person on the spectrum and a neurotypical person. So to find that translator is really hard and difficult. In the beginning, I found somebody that I could work with and I found a different person that Billy could work with. But that doesn't work because then we're not really communicating together. And honestly, I would read every book I can find. And I found this one book called Going Over the Edge. It's written by a lady named Dr. Cappy Marshak. And it was for the neurotypical person. It was for me in the relationship. And I asked myself one day, what do I have to my advantage? And I put down on a piece of paper and I drew a line. What are the pros of Billy's stuff? What are the cons of Billy? What drives me nuts? What do I have that others don't where I can figure this out? And what I had at my disposal, because Billy played the PGA tours, we were constantly traveling to a new city, to a new town. So I began interviewing different doctors in different towns and wherever we were to try and see if I could find ones that had something else that I was missing. And when I ran into to Kathy 
and I purposely used frequent flyer miles and hotel points and rental car points to go up to see her. And I went, wow, this is somebody who gets it for me and she could translate Billy to me. And I went, no, he doesn't mean that. And she goes, yeah, he does. And I go, he could not mean that. What do you mean? No. And yeah, he does. So I go, Billy, do you mean that? He goes, well, yeah, I've been telling you that. And I went, oh my God, how did I, what do you mean I'm missing that? How can I miss that? I, that's not what I said. And she said, what you said and what you meant were two different things. And Billy only heard the literal word, what you said. And it's, I've had to learn to work at my words and to put my emotion aside and actually say what I mean instead of hoping he would guess what I meant. In finding the right people, I've learned it's very difficult. And I think it will be for everyone because you have to find somebody that works for both people in the relationship. And that's difficult whether you're autistic or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thinking beyond this interview, what would you like to do in terms of advocacy and education for, is it for autistic people? Is it for their partners? Is it for? A little bit of both. So Billy and I have had we started a foundation, but we're not able and in a position yet to get it going the where we want it to be. We will, but it takes time. And we're doing a little similar to what you're kind of doing a little, but we want to take it with my vision in mind is to take it to a really big global scale where anybody could come to us and say, I'm drowning and I go, okay, you know, are you the neurotypical person in the relationship or the autistic individual? And then we have a database of people, whether surrounding you and, you know, God bless telemedicine these days. So you can be anywhere and use anyone. And that is a huge gift because you're going to be able to find people to help you more. Right. So we can connect people with the help they need instead of drowning for years like I did. Billy made a point and he's absolutely correct. We've had incredible experience with people coming up to both of us. And one of our more prevalent stories is we were at the U.S. Senior Open in Nebraska a few years back. And these three gentlemen in their mid to late 40s were standing behind me watching Billy play. And they were talking about all three of their sons who were on the spectrum. And they were talking about what they could or couldn't eat and what they were feeding them these days. And I chuckled because Billy and I are very picky about foods and how we eat, not only as an athlete, but as an autistic athlete that takes, and I'm gonna throw another element in there. He's a cancer survivor. so. Foods are very, very, very important to our family. So I turned around and I said, you guys have kids on the spectrum? And they said, yeah. And they said, do you? And I said, yes. And he said, he's right over there putting on the green. (laughs) And they're like, no way. And I said, yeah. So we struck up this conversation. And this one guy, this one dad, he was about 6'6", towered over me, grabbed me, pulled me aside off the fairway. And I 
honestly thought he was going to beat the crap out of me. I didn't know what he was doing. And he turned away and he put his back toward the fairway and looked at me and started crying. This 45-year-old man crying. And he said, I want to help. He said, I love your idea. Our youngest son is on the spectrum, but our two oldest daughters are not. And they're drowning. And my wife and I have... You know, we had this son, so we're willing to go the extra effort to take care of him, but all our effort goes to him, and the other two can't communicate, don't understand why he doesn't get it, they're frustrated. And I said, yes, and neglected, not on purpose, but by default. And he said, I would love to help. And when Billy and I experienced this, we went, whoa, this is kind of bigger than we imagined because when I went through this and I was the only one experiencing, I felt so alone and there was no help and I drowned for a long time. And to sit here and say, I'm the wife of an athlete and a PGA Tour successful one at that and I was miserable. Can you imagine what others might be that didn't have access to things that I did? And so we're trying to take this lemon that we kind of put was put in our lap and we're turning it around making lemonade. We're gonna find our way. You can make lemonade many different ways. You can make it sweet with <laughs> not only cane sugar, but there's agave and honey and maple syrup and coconut sugar and date sugar. So my point being, there's lots of different ways to make your lemon sweet. And so whatever works for one may not work for another but it will work for someone and we're going to find a way, but we've had to find our balance first and we're, we're getting there. And people like you, where you're doing what you're doing, life coaching is huge because you need it because life happens different every day, right? Yep. Every day. And that autistic individual, no matter where I'm going to plug something for a minute, we sent our son to the university of Arizona. And that's a big deal for us because Billy and Billy's a Hall of Famer at Arizona State. And <laughs> yeah, two, that's a big rival. That's like Ohio three. State. I went to Ohio State in Michigan. Very, yeah, very yeah, yeah, yeah. Fighting words. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, we did receive a whole lot of grief about this. Yeah. But get on specifically because they have a place on campus called the Salt Center, mm -hmm. the Strategic Alternating Learning Techniques. What it stands for. Are you familiar with it at all? I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. So it's not specifically just for kids on the spectrum because there's other individuals with disabilities in there as well. But for any kid on the spectrum, I would encourage highly to check out this facility and the University of Arizona because they help you, just like what you're doing life coaching, maneuver life through college. And I think it's brilliant. Anyway, I'm rambling. Billy, can I ask you one more question? Yeah. Absolutely. So something Tammy asked, and I think you're uniquely qualified to answer this question. So as autistic people, developing relationships and connections are can be a challenging thing. I think for myself personally, I can re I read people's energy and I either connect to them like immediately or don't. And I think myself and many other autistic people have a we're more likely to be taken advantage of because of that. Now, 
compound that as a a very successful PGA Tour, and now you're on the Champions Tour. I'm wondering about how those experiences compounded have compounded throughout your life. And, you know, Tammy was saying, you know, people come to you and, you know, probably all the time because of because of your name and what you have done in the world of golf. So I'm just wondering how you've went about navigating. And sometimes it's it's tough to be aware of it. It takes me more time to process it and then think, oh, that person was being a little sketchy. So I'm just wondering about that experience for you all these years. Well, you bring up a good point, and Tammy explained it very perfectly, where you have someone come up and you think they really care or they want to be close to you, they want to be your friend, they want to help you, and they're trying to help themselves more than anything else. And the last thing that I want to do on the golf course or in a restaurant or in an airport is be rude to somebody. Mm -hmm. Don't want to just blow them off because then they go and say, well, Billy Mayfair's got his, he's stuck up and he's this, so you have to be kind of careful. And I think Tammy has helped me here is to kind of take it slower, just say hi, be nice to them and all that, instead of trying to give them everything and make (laughs) them like you or be that way immediately, you just kind of give them 20% of your time or 20% of you, and you don't give them your phone numbers and you don't give them your addresses. I do that sometimes, and, you know, and and she just, you know, what are you doing, you know? (laughs) But we're just very trusting people. And unfortunately, six times out of ten, you're going to get burned in it. Mm-hmm. And the worst part about it is that the people out there who are truly in that need help will want to be your friend because they want to help you or, or autism or whatever sometimes get left out because of that. And that's the sad part. But that's probably one of the toughest things, you know, for me in my diagnosis was that I was not very good at reading facial expressions and catching and all that. And because of COVID and because being home and all that, I think Tammy would agree with me that I think I've gotten a little bit better yeah. at that. But that is still something that really is very difficult for me. And when someone comes up to me, it's like finding a new dog. I mean, a dog. I mean, I want to help them and take them home and take care of them. You know, that's the person that I am. And you just can't do that. So it's a difficult situation, and I'm learning as I go. But I think, as you said, you just you give yourself 20% and then just kind of see, give yourself, like you said, the 14 days or whatever it is to get your mind around it. And more than likely... I think as Tammy would agree, once you figure, once we figure it out, Doug, we're we're spot on, <laughs> and that goes back that goes back to the coaching and the teachers and all that. They know that if they give this person a little extra time and they come back, if it's fourteen days, ten days, whatever, they're going to be spot on, and that's what interests coaches and CEOs of companies because they want that. And if that means waiting Perfection. fourteen, yeah, if that means fourteen days, hey, so what? But to answer your question, I get that a lot. And in fact, we even had some here at the house today kind of that way where I wanted to do this and this and this. And Tammy had to say, hold on a second, you know, just let's take one step instead of five steps. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, point of view, it's something I struggle with all the time because is he taken advantage of a lot? So there's a great Bible verse that says you can tell a tree by its fruit. But how do you teach that to an autistic individual who can't see the tree, who can't see the fruit and understand what that means? That if a good person says good words, like I love you, right? Mm -hmm. But then they turn around and sleep with somebody else or whatever. And you don't know, you know, how do you, they said this and it's literal words, 
but they're doing something else. Their actions and their words don't match. And teaching that to an autistic individual and how to help them see a, a charlatan is very challenging. Yes, you are taken advantage of hugely. And I have a dear friend of mine who I helped realize her son, a collegiate son, was on the spectrum. And this is just recent. And the son was going through college, a fraternity, a rush. Rush week. And they abused him to the point of taking, you know, cigars and burning them into him. And, you know, they said, well, this is part of the rush process. So he took it literal and he comes home burnt. And, you know, she's like, no, you know, that is not acceptable. That's not. So how do you teach him that that shouldn't be that way at the point of your harm, at the point of hurting you, that you have to draw a line? It's difficult to teach that. And we're learning ourselves, but we've gotten pretty good at it. We're getting better. Yeah, we're, we're getting at it. Yeah. But I wanted to make a point about you talked about him and his childhood and instructors and today teaching. So if I were to tell any parent that's listening who has a child with a special gift, and let's say in this case sports, or for whatever, playing a musical instrument, Paint. whatever the gift, painting, yeah, whatever it may be, I think why Billy did so well early on with his brilliant instructor is because his instructor let him be Billy. So what do I mean by that? In the world of golf, Billy has a very unique putting style. He does, if you were to watch, he slices his putts. He's, inf he's famous for it, okay? Now, when I enter the picture, Normal people these days will say, well, we've got to fix that. If you want to be number one in the world, we've got to fix that. That's wrong. Even though he's won five, six tour events or something with it, what makes it wrong? And what I found out is has to do with his point, his eyes and talking about you, where you did better in, in certain places in the classroom mm -hmm. could have to do. And what I found is a common thing with autistic eyes is your point convergence where it comes to make you, you look at one vase full of flowers. If you close one eye, it moves and you open one eye, it, it moves different places. So your point is where it becomes one object. And Billy has a difficult time at seven feet. That's his distance. He's great at six, he's great at eight. He's brilliant at 30. He's even more magnificent at 180 yards. But at seven feet, he's very difficult. So his instructor, for me, not knowing him back in the day, let him be Billy and let him slice his putts because that's how his brain, when he got over the ball, could see the putter head and the stroke. That's how his eyes viewed it. And I would tell anybody listening, let the child or anyone be them because there's reasons autistically you're not going to know until you get tested or tried and that comes with life and experience so let the kid be the kid and perfect it and the, i think and that's definitely go ahead no man. i'm sorry and i agree 100 i think if you go back and if you work with athletes and maybe that's why so many athletes who are very very good in their sport and as you said it's very hard to get to that elite level we use our eye, autistic people, I do believe, use their eyes differently than most yes. normal people do. Yes. And we see things. Now, sometimes that we may see things quicker. 
We might see things slower and we might see things in a different way. But the key to it all is however that person sees it, myself or you, whoever, that we let that person continue doing it. Don't change them because it doesn't fit in your world. That's right. Neurotypical yeah, world. That neurotypical let world. Let it go. Where, but where they've got a hundred other kids who are doing the same thing. So you got to be just like them. Well, mm -mm. those hundred other kids are going to be pumping gas when they get older and you're going to be playing the Beating PJ Tiger Woods or whatever, and the Tiger Woods, You're going to be doing that. So it's something that's that I think, as I said, again, a lot of coaches and teachers, God bless them, are understanding that. And then when they get an autistic kid, as you said, they're putting them in the front row. They're putting them in certain rooms in, in certain spots in the classroom because they know that's the best way for them to succeed. And I commend them tremendously because it's such a it's such a help and it's it's an easy fix. I mean, that is a very quite a very easy fix. I absolutely agree. And I am absolutely thankful for both of you today. Thanks so much for your time of Thank being here on Autism Stories. Thanks for taking the other side. <laughs> We always love hearing from you, our listeners here on Autism Stories, and would especially love to hear from you relating to this episode on how can our loved ones support us as autistics. Thanks so much to Billy and Tammy for the conversation today. Here at Autism Personal Coach, our clients are the experts, our coaches are the guides. The majority of supports for autistics are not helpful. They try to fix us, not support us. That's why many are confused when we say our clients are the experts, experts of their lived experience. Our clients are the experts for what has worked for them and about the things they need and want in their lives. Our coaches first listen to our clients and then ask thoughtful questions, offer resources, and strategize with our clients so they can get what they need to thrive. Would you want a guide in your life to coach you to get you the things you desire? If so, then visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories. And if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.